0: Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Morning, everyone. Thank you for joining for this half-year update. Alongside me today, I have Ken, who's been with us for the last half-year presentation. But just as importantly, Emma Salthouse. I'd like to welcome Emma. She's in fact coming back to the organisation having done a brief stint as FD at Forensic Access. But the great thing from our point of view is Emma has had uh, those active ops inside out, having supported us for many years up to and including the IPO. So Emma will speak a bit more later on. So this morning I will kick off with a quick uh, overview of the business to, for those of you who haven't come across us before. And then I'll kick into our, our results and, and, and Ken will give more detail on the finances. Before we then just, I'll also complete with a a sense of the sort of current outlook and and strategy. ActiveOps is an enterprise software company delivering productivity-related products, supporting decision intelligence for financial services and their related industries. We sort of operate globally. You can see the split on the screen there. And really the great thing about ActiveOps is offering is essentially enabling people to do more with what they already have, which speaks very much, as you can imagine, to the current climate. The business is a SaaS model supported by some training and implementation revenues. And it's because of our annual and advanced contracting model, it also generates cash with sales, which means we don't have any debt and we're very cash generative. So it's in a context of current climate, we're finding a very appealing offer for our customers. In terms of the outcome of using our stuff. Uh, What you see on the screen in front of you is a number of examples of that. Essentially, people make better use of those resources that they already employ, and that can translate into outcomes, obviously, in terms of needing less people. So it might just be a cost reduction, but just as often, in fact, more often, it's about making better use. So greater improvement to customer service, a decrease in the, the complaints in reduction in overtime and the sort of things, again, that you see on the screen. And again, the great thing about that in the context of customers is their strategic imperative does change and vary. And ActiveOps is effectively offer of greater control, gives that kind of choice around how they they better exploit the assets they're they're having. And that can be when they just need to do more of what they already got, or as, as increasing the case, you're under regulatory pressure or on some kind of transformation pressure to reduce the operational risk. So you need greater control. So ActiveOps's products is very relevant to a lot of the issues at the moment. In terms of our customer base, again, many of you know these already if you've been on the call, but you can see the brand labels there. It's essentially financial services, but in principle, across any type of process, you've got some of the types of work our products help manage on the left there. You can see it's essentially to do with the management of work and time, which is a perennial and ongoing challenge for so many of those organizations. It's very global. We operate primarily out of the Anglo, I would say, regions, but in principle, we have lots of opportunity and have been taken by our customers to uh, different regions in the world. Just as a case study of the kind of outcomes that are notable and underpin, if you like, the results we'll be talking about in a minute. Nedbank is a customer in South Africa who've been with us for many years, but have really taken on a number of challenges recently, which means ActiveOps is a huge addition to help them accelerate some of their goals. So in this case, you can see in 22, they had 300 people on our system. In 2023, wow. now they have over 2,000 people using ActiveOps' software. And that relates to a number of business challenges around impairment, around productivity improvement, and interestingly, staff well-being. Because one of the challenges in recessionary times is not just how do you manage your labour force, but for the people that are there, you need to make sure that they're clearly positively managed and you don't lose in critical people. Um, with with the sort of and you know maintaining the sort of sense of identity in organizations, and ActiveOps very much speaks to to that that um, that solution or that problem, um, which is which is great. And some of you may have been to our conference and there's stuff on the website which you might see relating to the specific executive sponsor and in fact several members of the team leaders from Nedbank who spoke to this particular point, which which does make really good watching. So onto the headline results, which you may have read in the RNS. very, very solid half. I think particularly underpinned by, if you like, on a year-on-year comparison, uh, the pound has appreciated strongly since this time last year when we had the Liz Trust government. And that actually does, therefore, we've taken quite an exchange rate hit because our, for example, you know, the pound against the rand or the pound against the Aussie dollar means that our revenues in Australia and our revenues from South Africa are worth less in today's money which means that in pound terms, our actual revenues are up 8%, but on a like-for-like constant currency, that's up at 13% growth. The other side of the equation is in terms of how we're getting that operational leverage we've been talking about. And I think, again, very encouragingly, now we're actually at the point where we've had consistent EBITDA profit month on month, and Ken will talk more about that. But probably just as importantly, we're actually now at a profit before tax level. So I think taken together, that does mean the business is very much in a position to both execute against its strategy, but it's also secure against the sort of vagaries of the usual sort of you know market challenges that some organizations are facing at the moment. So I think as an organization, we're feeling very pleased with the outturn, particularly on that year-on-year basis, and it speaks to the underlying growth that I think is in the business. I'll talk more about the product set in a minute, but I think the key, the key point for me is it's, it is very much about a foundation for accelerating growth in the future, uh, and I think that does make for... Some, some interesting times ahead. I call out a couple of particular things around both product and marketing, because those are the two strategic pillars in the business we've been working on for a couple of years now. Firstly, that replatforming of our code base to create Control IQ. But with that comes then the opportunity to create these series of product functionalities, which just represents different levels of value for customers. Crucially, that then enables us to charge differently. And that is really starting to move through now. And I'll talk more about that. But the ability to directly link the series is to actual productivity gain. So we've launched the first generation of really AI-enhanced products. And that is, I think, potentially quite transformational for a number of our customers. Alongside that, we also have the expansion of the casework platform, and that is certainly getting a lot of traction with our customers. I've talked about that, but we're now up to probably 20 deployments in various sizes. And so that is a real, real step forward. Alongside that is then how we take our message to market. And and again, for those of you who've been tracking us for a while, one of our perennial challenges is making clients and potential customers aware of just the power of active ops. So one particular notable thing is our relationship with Microsoft is turning up all the time. And in fact, we've transacted a first major deal through the marketplace this year, which is a notable, both for the customer because it meant they benefited from some of the, the Microsoft bulk purchase agreements. And also from our perspective, It does reduce a lot of the complexity of contracting, which, again, in a a time when contracting is not getting any easier, uh, that's um, that's a huge, huge thing for us. But I think more profoundly, and I'll come back to this, is also how we effectively position ourselves to our customers around the decision intelligence Mm -hmm. idea. And and I'll, I'll come back about that. But what that does mean is we're seeing a much higher quality of lead come in. When customers aren't quite clear what you do, the sort of noise you have to cope with in terms of then qualifying and then testing sales opportunities is very expensive. What we've seen is a notable sharpening of the inbound inquiries towards essentially what we do genuinely do. And I think the value of that will play through not just sort of, in not, you know, it's not, it's not in the next six months, but it's much more in terms of the, the prospect for next year. So both facts of product marketing and sales and the product are supporting us in a very particular way. You see that particularly now in the distribution of our sales across the regions. And the nice thing is, to be honest, there's not much difference in the regional sort of profile. The problems are essentially generic, whether it's recessionary pressures, well-being, or the need for the sort of end-to-end digitization of a lot of the transaction of these customers. So this is just some pie charts to show the distribution of the different activities. But it's encouraging because all the regions now are seeing expansions. Notable one in North America is we've had a lot of customers on our work IQ product in the american healthcare market and we've always felt since we acquired the open connect company that was the cross selling opportunity to really scale the business we now have material numbers of pilots running in those customers which i think leads to control IQ scale for the coming year we've had one project complete very successfully we're now into the scale up discussion Two or three others running um, uh, concurrently and again setting us up for a, a strong uh, strong year next year in, in the US Amir is very well balanced with lots of things happening across the the region of course that encompasses South Africa and India as well so there's a pretty broad church in there and as Australia Australia it has been a, a a steady source of uh, uh, revenue and, and and growth for the business for many years it's the great thing is with new products, particularly the case of IQ, we're now having our customers migrate onto the new code base, and that is turning up opportunities for, for further expansion to a greater processor customers than there. So again, it's about the balance book. We suffer, in that sense, a bit of exchange rate volatility this year in terms of the actual return to pounds, but in truth, that masks what is much more a success and a strength of the business, which is the ability to operate in different markets consistently and solving the same business problem. So... A lot of good things in there. I'll return to some of those themes in the next bit, but
2: in interest of changing voice, um I'll hand over to Ken. Good morning everybody. Um yes, indeed. I think uh financial bits, I think most of you are fairly familiar with the business, but uh, for those of you who aren't, Richard mentioned the company is based around a SaaS model. SaaS is software as a service. That means that nearly all of our customers pay annually in advance, which is great. It's great for cash flow. It's also great for predictability because it means that this month the revenue will be pretty much the same as last month, but hopefully a bit more. And next month you can see very clearly as well. So it does make running the financial side of the business extremely comfortable. You don't lose sleep about where your next uh, kill is going to come from. Also growing, obviously, as uh, you have your existing customer base moving into the next month every month, you've also got some new business. So you should have a fairly steady growing revenue stream. And for some time, now, profitability, certainly every month of the first six months of the current half year, we have been in profit and an EBITDA level, and that was based upon an exit profitability last year, too. So we've been consistently profitable. Because it's a SaaS model, that's very cash generative, and that's particularly the case in the second half of the year. So when we come to have a look at the cash side, you'll we'll see that it does go down in the first half, but it goes up strongly in the second half as customers renew and pay for their service. As Richard said, the currency side of things has been quite interesting over the last 12 months. The pound has grown steadily against the Aussie dollar, the US dollar, Canadian dollar, and the South African rand. Um, in some cases, double-digit growth. So that has had an effect on the, the revenues reported. But when you look at them on constant currency levels, um, ARR has actually got up 15%, which in the current climate, I think is pretty powerful. NRR, although it's reported as 104%, is 111 if you look at constant currency. And for the first time in a very long time, and in practical terms, realistically, we've moved into PBT positive territory. So that's been a a very big milestone for the business. So, yeah, £12 million in the bank at the end of October. So plenty of comfort in the balance sheet side. Moving into the detail. So the SAS revenues, as we said, are up. 8% in absolute terms, but 13% in constant currency. Again, that exchange rate, throwing the numbers a little bit. Um, You can see the profit and loss before tax moving into positive territory at 0.1 in there. And to get there, we obviously had, as I say, good revenue growth. T&I revenues, training and implementation, that is, has been kind of steady. That very much reflects the rollouts and implementations that are undergoing at any one time. Typically, they come through more strongly in the second half. In terms of gross margins, it's very pleasing to see that growing by 3 percentage points. That, again, reflects the SaaS content um, of the the revenue side. And in terms of OPEX, um, it appears our OPEX has gone up. But actually, when you strip out the currency effect of last year, it's actually slightly gone down. We have quite a large currency gain, realized gain in the first half of last year which uh, had the effect of making the OPEX lower, but in fact, it's been fairly steady across the two half years. And we capitalise labour as we are required to do under the accounting standards. This time we've capitalised about half a million pounds. That compares with £300,000 this time last year, so slightly up. And that's probably a fairly consistent level of capitalisation now going forward each six-month period. the EBITDA, Obviously, pleasing to see that going up from 0.3 to 0.8. But as I mentioned, one of the big blocks you'll see the 0.9 million towards the right is the forex effect. So last year's 0.3 million EBITDA positive actually was after a very nice um, <clears throat> contributor from forex. So it would have been a small loss otherwise. Clearly, the SAS growth in the year has been as a, a good, healthy growth in EBITDA. Sales marketing has further improved that. That is an effect of cutbacks made in the North American markets in the first half of the previous year, where the organization was right-sized to make sure it was effective in the marketplace. Market, Management and admin is largely about provisions, holiday provisions, and uh, we're actually building some internal um, technology as well to help our accounting and uh, operational systems. So yes, 0.8 million adjusted EBITDA very pleasing place to be, and as we said, it should be sustainable going forward. That should be the PBT side of things. So, in summary, we have a very healthy balance sheet, and most of that reflects the change from the full year end to the half year end, and that to effect of customer renewals, so that does have quite a material effect on cash, debtors, deferred income, and the like. But um, before I say any more about these, I'll just introduce Emma, who's a uh, Newly back into the business, um, has had kind of a whole week to uh, get back into the seat, um, but I'm sure she'll sure have some comments and thoughts on the financial condition of the business.
0: Perfect, okay, thanks, Ken. And um, so, just to finish off the financials, and um, I just wanted to provide some initial observations since returning back to the business. So, as Ken said, in summary, you know the business has got a healthy balance sheet. Um, the cash position remains very strong. Uh, The H1 cash position typically is impacted by the renewal cycle. Two-thirds of our renewals take place in H2. So we will start to see that continue to climb as we go into H2, which is obviously a really positive place to be. I think for me, the real star on, on this slide is the high levels of recurring revenues that we have. This really brings to life, for me, the exciting return on investment stories for our customers, which you can really see come through the NRR metrics that we have and we discuss later on. And then ultimately, as Clint just mentioned, the transition into a positive um, profit before tax position, uh, which we are at sustainable levels as well, which is obviously really exciting to see. So for me overall, um, I think we've got some really strong foundations here as a business. And I'm really looking forward to supporting Richard and the, and the wider business and um, take these forward into the next stage.
1: What could possibly go wrong <laughs> hey, Absolutely. Now it's great to have you back. And it's um, you know, so it's, it's the familiarity with the underlying sort of systems of the business, I think it's so so great. Turning our mind then a little bit to the sort of the strategy and the opportunity, and and I've touched on a lot of this, but I think it's worthy of a bit more time to explain. I think one of the things that ActiveOps has always wrestled with is positioning ourselves relative to, if you like, market categorization and the Gartner's of this world. And I think because that gives people entry point to where and how we operate. And one of the things that's really coming through, through the advent of the large language models and AI, is this whole area of decision intelligence. And that very much fits with ActiveOps because what we've always been doing is providing technology to support better decision making, more data, more precision, more rigor around choices that otherwise people frankly make it up. And they wing it and they judge on their experience which in a large organization is a catastrophe for sort of carrying efficient use of time and labor so so we've got a situation where with ai we have the capability now to to leverage our own internal data the unique to ActiveOps is effectively 15 years of, of processing data that's what our cloud system contains and and using active ops we're able, we're able to provide both the method to know what the right answer is and of course with our code base. We have the ability to access and tap into the latest software from the point of view of Azure and some of those amazing AI platforms. They are. But the cre- critical thing there is that defensive moat, it's things that we can do that no one else can do because of the method, because of the data, and because of our particular code base. So I want to just explain a little bit more about how that contributes to the difference. If you consider for a second, the type of decisions that people make every day on the box on the right there, you've got sort of examples of both the strategic, you know, the longer term stuff, how many sites do we need, what sort of relationships, do we have with outsources or in And are we getting the right balance between sort of productivity and well-being? There's those big decisions. But then within an organization, if you think about the cascade of that reality down through, there's then the micro decisions, the tactical. Literally, you know, what do I give someone to do next week, tomorrow, today? Can I loan and borrow? And so on and so on. And against that, if you look at the left-hand box there, that's sort of the reality for so many organizations is, is the information they use to make those kinds of decisions is at best sort of dashboards and accumulated. You still need to use your judgment to decide what the right answer is. Or worst case, frankly, most of the middle managers in organizations spend their time collating data and assembling their information on which to make decisions. And the outcome of the decision is so effectively is the last stage of the process. There is such a massive opportunity to take that away. If we consider then what ActiveOps starts to bring, We have a model which I won't labor too much, but it's the ability to consolidate myriad of different things your organizational activities cover and the people into this data model with this single view of work and time. So with that perspective, I know what work there is. I know to a level of precision what capacity I have, not just now, but tomorrow, the week after, and as an organization. And that is extraordinarily powerful. We can then apply our AI to that problem to say, given the circumstance you're in, with the structure we have, here are the best possible outcomes given the circumstance you're in. So suddenly you're not reliant on that management insight or indeed, frankly, the prejudice of the managers about the right answer in a given circle. You're actually able to leverage the best of your answers within your own organization. And increasingly, we will give customers the facility over best practice across our global uh, capability. So the answers you're getting in terms of the situation your customer, your 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 team managers are in is based on the best possible outcome across the worldly practice, and then presenting that back to customers, to the consumers, to the managers in real time, so that you literally do have that ability to know what to do next. You don't have to wait and think and do. It's supporting that preemptive, prescriptive decision making. It is particularly. Uh, It is phenomenal. We've had a few examples of that at our conference recently where we were showing people, if you like, a decision sequence looking at data and then just asking the AI to do it for us and just come straight back up with this is possibly the best answer. Would you like to execute that? So the decisions and the questions on the right there are the same. But the impact of that on how that can then be used is fantastic. I mean, the impact of that, just to sort of step back for a second, in, in in a large operation, middle management is probably about 20 to 30 percent of cost and op cost. Well, the impact of what we're talking about here is going to transform the need for that kind of role. They'll be more effective and the need for spans and layers will reduce. So the impact on something that's not really had a lot of automation attention, that kind of middle management area and the cost base, I think, is in for quite a radical time over the coming coming few years. And ActiveOps, with, with, with the technology we have and the customer base we have, is absolutely placed to support organizations as they go through that journey. So that's the sort of presentation of ActiveOps and our relevance to the challenges we face. I think, you know, that's quite a radical step up. And behind that, what we've invested in and part of the cost base you've seen is how we're going to market. I'm just fresh back from our conference season, which we ran a conference in London, Melbourne and uh, Nashville for the different regional activities. And again, the take up, the interest in coming to our conferences has grown year on year. But I think more importantly, people go away with, frankly, a hugely different perspective. On what the impact they, in operate, as operations leaders, can have on the on the transformation of their own enterprises. So we're we we're, we're really excited about that. More importantly, our own in, in internal capability in terms of marketing is is growing exponentially. So a lot more impact. If you're tracking us, you'll see the change in our website, the visibility on LinkedIn. But what we'll now go to is is much more of the sort of rifle shot attention to the particular buying communities that are in. You know this is relevant to particular thing there that's working very well already is our quarterly uh, performance tracker for operations. So we summarize our consolidated data now quarterly and we write commentary on trends across the world and push that to COOs and senior leaders around the world so that they have some context and that's unique. No one else can really provide that kind of benchmarking data. So things like that, developing our authority, asserting our own leadership in this particular space We're just in the foothills, but it's throwing up some interesting results. Second thing, then, is the technology. And I said I'd come back on this. So this is the Control IQ series. With series three, you're seeing the introduction of the service level predictions. So, again, it's hard to sort of overestimate the impact of this. But with our technology now, our customers are able to determine the likely outcome and therefore manage expectations or solve problems around service levels before they arrive. Because the confidence level of the availability of work and the availability of resource can be modeled through. And that is a challenge which every operation leader lives with every single day. And to some extent, part of the reason that so many organizations carry contingent resources is precisely because they don't know what the outcome is. So they carry resources just in case. Now imagine if you've taken away that just in case, suddenly you're much more confident about what you can do. That reduces your cost, improves your response rates, You have less customer service failures. I could go on. Smart planning. ActiveOps's method provides rigor around how managers think through what's going to happen. Has done that for many years. But you're still in that loading meeting or that decision when you're you're mentally qualifying your colleagues' plans because they may or may not have fanbagged it with different things. Smart planning, like Google Maps on your journey planning, takes that away. It simply presents the likely outcomes based on confidence and Again, you know, testing, it delivers a better result than most team leaders, certainly as good as the best. And the point is, it's consistently. So in terms of that management process, suddenly now we're dealing with effectively known knowns and we deal with the outcomes. We're not mentally sandbagging it because that always overplans their productivity or vice versa. Testing in our beta test sites showed smart planning improved utilization of the capacity such that they delivered a 4% productivity improvement. If you've got customers of 20,000 people in it, 4% productivity improvement just from effectively better planning is a huge, huge number. So so that kind of stuff then delivers a direct ROI, which we translate into a price point. So we can then directly attribute the the, the increase in pricing, which we're seeing in Series 3, to these type of features. Again, driving the revenue up. Series 4 coming in 2024 takes it to another level skills mapping is a huge constraint for organizations it's done very badly skills change we're going to make it possible to auto determine what people are good at and more importantly show when people are falling off or need to go back as a refresher because they haven't done it for a while learning curves the rest of it these are really really fundamental challenges in large organizations which we're just going to take away the effort virtual coach Another one where, back to my point about effectively, rather than just offering up a forecast, leaving you to decide what to do with that information, AOM Virtual Coach actually uses AI to prescribe and advise you on what the right answer might be. Each individual decision-making by an individual manager might be as good as that. But imagine when you've got 10,000 people with 1,000 managers, the impact of every single one of them making a better answer every single day. It really is going to be quite transformational. So you can tell from my sort of tone, I'm very excited about this because it's the biggest leap forward I think we've been able to bring to our customers for many years and the impact of this is going to play through the business over the next three years. Then speaking to that growth, what that does, we have casework IQ, which is expanding the catchment of the type of work we manage. We are looking at it, therefore, with combination of the work IQ and of IQ, much more of an enterprise structure. There's software solutions here, which appeal to the HR functions around attendance and a whole load of other things, which gives us a different sort of conversation about enterprise deployment. And then there is this sort of progression as people's organizations sort of maturity evolves around this space for us to walk them from series two, which is really basic data capture and planning through to series three, which is bringing in the AI to series four, which is some of these enhanced features. Taken together, you know, we remain as confident as ever that we're really only just beginning to tap the market. I mean, we spoke before and I don't think our general views change. There's at least 90 million of ARR in our existing customer base. But, but much more importantly, and with the ability of the new marketing and the new sharper proposition, I think our ability to expand to new customers and potentially even new markets. I mean, government is crying out for a lot of this stuff, the big processing areas. You know, there's no shortage of target addressable for the market to go at. For me right now, our focus is very much to demonstrate all of that by, st- I'm not saying sticking to our knitting, but focusing on the high value opportunities within our existing customer base and drive that acceleration. On the back of that, probably in the middle of next year, we'll then start to think about how we can really scale up and scale outwards to different areas. But we've got a lot in the pipeline right now to execute and to drive up that underlying ARR growth. But I think um, the potential beyond that is very exciting indeed. Specifically then, just since the half, I mean, I would just simply headline it in, in line with our expectations. We've done a number of specific expansion deals with banking customers since the end of the half and the pipeline is looking as strong as ever, which leads us overall to the the headline that we're confident in our ARR growth. It is very interesting times in that context of of organizations looking for ways to reduce costs maybe, but certainly sweat their assets more. I think ActiveOps's uh, proposition is exactly in that spot where the message we can say is here's a very straightforward way you can get more from what you've got, but more importantly, not just sort of cut things, but you can actually execute better against your strategic plans, which is, as you can imagine, quite quite an appealing idea to a lot of our customers.
0: PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.